Good morning, Grace. Good to have you. And I just want to give a big shout out to Grace Online. Now, some of you, if you're new, have no idea. Maybe even if you've been going here for a while, we have about 350 to 400 people that join us live every single Sunday. That's another church right there. And I just wanna say thank you for joining us. It is such an honor to have you with us. And, and, and we know that you wish you could be here in person, but you can't be, but we, you gotta know we love you and you're part of our family. And can we just give it up for our Grace Online family? Oh, we love you guys. It's good to have you with us. Now, I also want to say something that I, I, I love this. Uh, today, our founding pastor is here in the house. Lowell Foster is here. And today is his birthday. He is 96 years old. 96 years. Can we give it up for Pastor Foster? So good to have you here, Brother Foster. Man, what a legacy. It is such an honor to, to man, ha- have, have you part of our, our team here. I, no bigger encourager that I've had than, than this man right there, and it's so good to have you here, Pastor Foster. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter three, and I have a unique message, and I will tell you this. If you are new, first of all, I hope I have the chance to meet you after the service, but, um, but this is going to be a unique message, um, very much so. I, I've just had a burden for this for our church, I believe that God is, has, has given me a, a specific message for those who call grace home. And I think you'll see where I'm going as we continue our series through Jonah. Now, we, we, we left off last week in, in chapter two and, you know, the whole thing with the fish, it, uh, it spit up, actually, let's just use the biblical word, it vomited Jonah on the shore. Like, I mean, it uses this word, you, this this is not a good day for Jonah, right? And, and here's the thing. He, he had been called to Syria, did not want to go. He'd run the other direction. And it's for very good reason. Assyria was no friend of Israel. Now, when you think of, of the world's superpowers today, you know, probably you, you think of the US, Russia, China, whatever. I mean, you will have different countries that come to mind. In the Old Testament times, as you read through the, uh, especially, uh, you know, the, the books of Kings and Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, some of the prophets, you will see the Assyrians referred to, they were a superpower, along with the Babylonians, earlier the Hittites, later the Greeks, the Romans. But what, what, what we know from them, from an archaeological standpoint, there's a lot of history about the Assyrian Empire. Empire. They were uh, known for their ferocity. They were in power for about 700 or so years. And, and they, you know, they, they had their start. In fact, the city Nineveh, to which Jonah was called, had been, had been planted, had been founded by the great-grandson of Noah, a guy by the name of Nimrod, which is the greatest name of all time. But uh, he had founded this, this city. It had become a powerful city, but it had become a godless city in, in terms of worshiping the God of Israel. And, and so they, they were known to be, they were, known for their, uh, for their fighting, their military might, their ferocity. Every single spring, Assyria would go out to wage war, either to, to defend their borders, to extend their borders. And, and they were not, they weren't uh, just, you know, man, how, how should I put this? They, they weren't just uh, what we see perhaps in marching in perfect uh, formation and, and whatever. I mean, they were horrifying in what they did. Now, they were very efficient. 
They didn't just have warriors. They had, they had a whole army. They had engineers. Um, they would build bridges, build boats. It was a very big part of what they did. They took a very systematic and efficient yet terrible approach to warfare. They did, you know, yes, they would do open, from what we understand, they would do open field battles, siege, all that, but they perfected the art. Actually, uh, really, it's, it was used by the, the, the Greeks, the Roman Empire, uh, the Babylonians did this as well. They were known for the art, developing the art of psychological warfare. And in fact, they, they, would, be, they would be known as a terrorist a nation, the way they did things. In fact, Scripture, even Old Testament, reveals this. But I came across some of the tents here. A retired pastor actually sent me some clips from the the journals of one of the of of one of their kings, one of the Assyrian kings, and and he describes in his own words what they would do to people that they conquered or the approaches they would take to overthrow a city. And it's not a pretty picture. A lot of times, in fact, you see this in 2 Kings 18, that when they came to take Jerusalem, they would begin by surrounding the city and just shouting insults or, or talking about what they were going to do unless they opened the gates of the city. Now, they would promise, if you'll, if you'll open the gates of the city, we, you, you know, we're, we're going to make sure that you succeed and all of this sort of thing. But then they were also talking about your God can't protect you, your king can't protect you. And, and if, if people didn't give in, they would actually go many times. Now, we know this from archaeological uh, material. They would actually go to other uh, surrounding cities, a weaker city, and use them as an example. They would, they would not just defeat them and overthrow the city, they would actually... Actually, they've been no, they were known to skin them alive, to cut off their heads. They would use rape, torture, eye gouging, bodily mutilation. Like, like if you're like, oh man, just stop! Don't. don't. This is what I'm talking about. They, their approach to this was horrifying. And, and so, what we're going to know is that that prior to Jonah, his call. Israel has had skirmishes there, while later on, we're, we're about 60, 50 to 60 years removed from, from the Assyrians actually overthrowing the nation of Israel, they, they know of the Assyrians' ferocity. They are no friend of Israel. When Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, it would be like, like any of us getting a call, you know, Rodney over here, you know, being called to go to minister to ISIS. You're like, are you kidding me right now? There's a reason why Jonah did not want to go. First of all, because of who they were, but also because of who he was. He was a card-carrying, I am a, he, he was a nationalist, man. He loved his country. And here's the crazy thing. Do you guys believe that God's clock keeps perfect time? God's timing is perfect. Do you believe that? Half of you do. So hang with me here. It's very, very interesting that in this particular season in which Jonah is called, Assyria, and this is one of the few times in, in, in the empire before they were ultimately overthrown in the 600 BC era, that they were actually in a weakened state. Now, it's interesting. We don't necessarily get this from Scripture, but, but history teaches this. In this, in, this uh, in this time period, they suffered a devastating earthquake. Nineveh was literally shaken by a devastating earthquake. They had an eclipse that took place that would have freaked out people, like, what is going on here? 
They also had a time, there, there was an internal rebellion that was going on. They were convinced, history reveals, that they were convinced their gods were turning against them. Nineveh was actually, the, the, and, and the Syrian nation was at a weakened state, whereas on the other hand, Israel, in the 150 or so years since they'd split off from Judah, they'd had the breaking apart of the kingdom, they were at the pinnacle. This was the highest they would ever go under the reign of Jeroboam II. They were successful when it comes to material things. They finally had peace. They were actually, at least on a, at a regional state, uh, they had some regional power here. And it's at this time where finally, it's like the tables have turned, that God is calling Jonah to go. And we know that, we know from 2 Kings 14, 25, that Jonah is ministering during this time season. This is the context in which God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And he's like, no. I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. But it was no accident that God was calling because God knew that this was going to be a time when they were going to listen. And he's like, no, I want you to go. Joe's like, I'm not going to go. And so we've been talking about this. What happened? He got in a ship, tried to run from God, get as far away from Nineveh as he could get. And you know the storm, we know this. He's thrown in, almost, almost drowned. He's been swallowed by a great fish. Encounter God's grace in the belly of fish and been thrown up by a fish. It's been a tough week for our boy Jonah. And so we pick, up, we pick up our reading here in chapter three. And here's, here's what we read in verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I love this. If you're, if you're an underliner, I don't even know that's a word, but I just made it up. It now, it's, it's a word now. If you're an underliner in your scripture, go ahead and underline second time. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I'm going to give you another word to underline here in just a second. Now Nineveh was, and here's where you underline, and exceedingly. I want you to underline the word exceedingly, and I'm going to explain why here in just a second. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message, very simple message. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, catch this, they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. And what that was, was literally you take off your regular clothes, you would put on just, just rags and, and ash and all that sort of thing. It was a posture of humility. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word even got to the palace. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, which I think is hilarious. Can you imagine trying to get sackcloth on your dog? I have a black lab. I don't know. I don't know. Like cats. Do they have cats then? Like they're not doing this. But anyway, it says... The, the king said, let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone, check this out. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Violence defined them. That's who they were. He said, I want you to turn from that. Turn from the violence that is in your hands. Who knows, he asked. God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then we get verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
Now we're gonna look later at, at Jonah's response to what God did here. But, but I wanna pause here because I wanna go back to verse three. When we read that, that, that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, well, if you, if you keep reading chapter four, it's about 120,000 people, 120,000 people or so. And, and so, yes, that was, that was a, a, a great city in terms of size, but, but when it says that it took three days journey, they, they found uh, there in, in modern, what is modern day Iraq, they found what they believe to be the walls of the ancient city of Jerusalem. It take, it's about seven miles or so from one, from one wall to the end of the other wall. So it couldn't have been that it took three days to walk around the walls of the city, three days to, to walk through. The city. But, but, but what scholars, but other people that are a lot smarter than I am, believe that it, 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 this is talking about it took three days for Jonah to deliver the message that God had given him to deliver. Because what we do know, again, from archaeological ruins and, and, and discoveries, is that they had several uh, places in Nineveh that, that people would go. It was gathering places. Uh, there, there was one at the, uh, one of their major temples there. There were other gathering places throughout the city of Nineveh where a person would go to deliver a message from a king. And it was probably to these places that, that Jonah went preach his message, and what we see is what God did. But I want to actually come back to this word exceedingly, because here's the deal. If Nineveh has slipped, 120,000 people, yeah, that's good, but it's still not the largest city that we see in Scripture. Why in the world would we have this description? Nineveh, in this weakened state, they've lost their military power, they're not as successful as they used to be, a little panic-stricken at times. Why would it say that they are an exceedingly great, great city? Now, I want you to do something. I'm gonna send you on, on a journey. In fact, if you're taking notes on the back of, if you'll flip over uh, the back where we have the notes, you're gonna see I've included a, uh, there in the notes, a website that you can, uh, that you can visit called blueletterbible.org. It's a free website. You go there and check out. It's a way to check out the, the meanings of different words we find in Scripture, how it's used other places in Scripture, and all that. Now, like we read exceedingly. You're just thinking, oh, yeah, it's just a description, description of, the, of the city. I, I just happened, it was, this was literally an accident. I'm like, I wonder what Hebrew words are, are included here. And so I'm actually going through Hebrew. The word that is translated exceedingly is the Hebrew word Elohim. Now, some of you that know, know, you've heard, you don't know Hebrew, but you know the word Elohim, know that almost, oh, it's used about 3,000 times in the Old Testament. And nearly every single time that it's used, well over 90% of the time that it's used, it refers to God. It's, it's another name used for God. The only other times that, that, that we see it used is it's used to something having to do with, with God. Or it might clearly be defined in some context as being a false God having to do with something like that. Here's the thing. Man, when I saw this, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. Because it's not translated God. It's like the only place I can find in all the Old Testament where it is translated exceedingly. Why in the world would this, this word be translated exceedingly? And if you go to almost every version, they translate it the same way. Why is it translated this way? I don't know. How's that for a great answer? But I do have an idea. If nothing else, we do know this. This was a city that was great to God. It mattered to God. Why did Nineveh matter to God? Why is it 
that Nineveh mattered to God. I'll be honest, man, I've been, you know, this whole series, we've been studying uh, through this. I was, Thursday morning, I was up in, uh, we have a little room upstairs, we do a lot of our sermon prep, and I'd been up there, I got there early, and I'd just been going through this, and finally, man, I had enough. I pushed back from the table, I came, I came running down the stairs, and I walked, I, I walked into our, our staff room, and Pastor Matt was there, Pastor Tony, and I, I just interrupted the conversation, and I'm like, I'm gonna tell you guys, it makes absolutely no sense why God would choose Nineveh. And they're like, have no context. They look at me like, you have lost, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, I said, I just can't, man, I've been studying this. I said, it makes no sense. No sense that God would, would, would choose Nineveh. And I said, then I've been looking at Jonah. It makes absolutely no sense that God would, would come to Jonah. Did you, did you see that? He came to him a second time. Why I can see if God said, okay, you ran, you rebelled, but I'll save you. I'll rescue you. But man, let me get somebody that'll actually listen to me. Honestly, I'm gonna tell you right now, I, it makes absolutely no sense that, that the city of Nineveh mattered to God and it's, it makes no sense that God keeps coming back to Jonah. But, but here's, I, I, wanna, I wanna think about something. And guys, this is, this is a message. I, 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 I don't wanna speak too, I always, I always try to be careful. Like the people are always like, oh man, God just gave me this. And I, I was like, I, I wanna be careful if I'm gonna invoke God. But, but here's the thing, I, I feel like God's giving me a message. Because here's what I'm, I'm convinced of. I'm convinced, and if you wanna write this down, this is, my, this is my big point this morning. I'm convinced that God's not done calling Jonas and God's not done changing cities. And I do not know why Nineveh mattered to God. I don't know why Nampa matters to God. I don't know why Jonah was continually called by God. But if I'm gonna be honest and appear before you this morning, I don't know why God kept calling me. But here's all I know. God is not done calling Jonah's and God's not done changing cities, even when it makes no sense and even when it's not fair. God's not done. And, and so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is I want to look at what he does with Jonah and then what he does with Nineveh. And so here's the deal. Like if, you, if you're here today um, and, and you're like, I think next week, you know, it's going to be I'm gonna skip next week. Nope, no, you gotta come back because I'm not gonna give you the rest of the story. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna figure this out. But I wanna talk today about what God did in transforming Jonah because I, I have a feeling, man, there, there are people here that you've actually put limitations on yourself that God didn't place on you. You've actually, because of your age, because of your failure, because of what, I don't know what, what it could be. You, you've actually said, yeah, God can save me, but I'm not sure that God still wants to use me like he did when he first called. You might've been running from God. You might've been rebelling from God. And, and you've got to a place where you're not sure about this. Listen to me, God's not done calling Jonah's and God's not done changing cities. And what God did for Jonah is he transformed him. And there are four themes that I see in his boot camp. 
his transformation, if you will, of the man that he was gonna send because I will tell you this, God will change a man before he takes a city. And this is an interesting, this is an interesting thing right here because I think a lot of times we, we, we get caught up in this, this whole thing, well, I resisted God and I rebelled and all that, so, so God's probably done with me. No, he's not. No, he's, he's, not, he's not done calling and he's not done changing. But, but here's, here's what, four things that Mark that stand out to me. First of all, there's a persistent grace. And I'm not gonna talk a lot about this because I'm not gonna re-preach what we, what we talked about last week. We spent a lot of time talking about the grace of God. But there is a persistent grace that is found all through scripture. I was talking to someone this morning and they, they had told me they were studying this week through Jonah were stud- and they had watched a video and, and a guy on the video said something. I love this. He said that Jonah is almost like a mirror. When we read it, somewhere in there, we're gonna see ourselves. It's gonna reveal, we might be the one that's running. We might be the one that's reluctant. We might be the one that's resisting. We might, whatever, we might be the one that's self-righteous, but there is a persistent grace that you, that you cannot miss when you look through the, this book. And that's why when I, when I talk about this thing not being fair, grace isn't fair. In fact, if you look at this and you're like, yeah, that's where God should show grace. Hold on a second. No, that means it's probably not grace. When it's unfair, that's what grace is. It does not make sense. But yet God in his choosing, God in his sovereign purposes, God in his plan seeing what we cannot see does what we would never do. And what, what marks me all through Jonah's life is this, and through this, this section here is this theme of a persistent grace calling a guy who did not want to go there. That's the enemy. He, he, he changes him and then sends him there. Hmm. Then what I see here is a consistent call. I, I underlined in my Bible that, that, that for, I love that in verse, in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And I, I man, I, <laughs> I put myself in the story this week. When I was reading this, my mind went back many, many years ago. I was at a youth camp, and I was not at a youth camp because I was seeking God. I was at a youth camp because I wanted to hang out with girls. That's exactly why I was there. And in a service, I still, I still remember, it's one of the most unique experiences I've ever had. I cannot explain it other than God. Is there, there, was, there was a move of God. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to put it, where I literally found myself, they had, I, they had like a little place in the front where you could pray, and I found myself walking forward to pray. I had no intention of, of getting out. It was almost like I was moving before I even, I didn't plan on it. And, and here's the deal, this is gonna blow your mind. That was not the night that, that God saved me. But I still remember there was this something drew me and it was the very first time when, where I, I could sense God was calling me and I did not want to do whatever that was. And I ran and I resisted. Later, I, you know, in, in, in going into my 20s, it wasn't so much a, a rebelling. I, I was open to this, but, but because of, of what I had done here, I thought that disqualified me, that disqualified me for what he was calling me to. And so what I did, I didn't really, I mean, I wouldn't have verbalized this way, but what I did was when it came to the calling of God, I actually, because of my rebellion, I put a period after the calling, and I said, because I did this, God's calling is no longer in effect. God can save me, but God won't use me. 
I have a feeling that I'm not the only one that's gone down that road. But what I love is that Jonah could have done the same thing. He's in the belly of the well for, or of the great fish for crying out loud. He could have put a period there, but God wouldn't let him. God came to him a second time and in essence was saying, okay, yeah, you blew it. You admitted it, but I'm not through with you. Literally, I, I, I saved you, but I'm gonna use you. My calling did not expire. Did you know there's not an expiration date on God's calling? So stop putting a period where God's put a comma. God's not done. And while Mark's this entire story is this, this sense of a, of a persistent grace, a consistent call, but then there was a, a very clear message. And, and what I've noticed is that many times when, when it's a clear call, God, God gives a clear message. Now, there, there might be something that he, he'll, he'll call his people to generally, but what he did here when it came to the, the clear message, he just said, here's where I want you to go. He, think about this. He said, here's where I want you to go. Here's, here's what I want you to say. It's actually really clear. He gave him the destination and he gave him what he was to do, what he was to say. And when we finally see Jonah responding in obedience, finally, the guy gets it and we're like, finally, listen, we're all Jonah. We've all been there. So don't judge the dude. You and I have been there too. When he finally gets up and he obeys, he, he, does, he goes where he's supposed to go and he delivers the message he's supposed to say and he does what he's supposed to do. And what do we see in verse five? The people of Nineveh believed God. They responded. But the secret is the fourth theme that I see all through here. Yes, there was a, a persistent grace, there's a consistent call, there's a clear message. But guys, what made the difference is this. There was a divine anointing. And can I, can I tell you this? When we say that I'm disqualified, I can't do this because of whatever, we literally, we, we actually put walls around what God is saying that he wants to do in us and through us. And, and can, I, can I just tell you this morning, I'm, I, I'm just, uh, let's get rid of the excuses. I'm too old. I'm too young, too inexperienced. I can't do what I used to do. I'm not who I was when the call first came. I'm too broken. I, listen, we'll put, you put that word too in front. Listen, the, the, the reality is, can I tell you that God does not need your experience? He doesn't need your ability. He doesn't need your capacity. He doesn't need your charisma. He doesn't need anything. He just needs your availability. He needs your obedience. God will do the rest. When people believed, it says nothing about them believing Jonah, they believed God. Somehow when Jonah did what Jonah was supposed to do and Jonah said what Jonah was supposed to say, God's message came through and they, the, the messenger did not matter. And so I will tell you this, if you're caught up and you've gotta be the one that gets on, on all the pictures on Instagram for doing this great deed, that's not what it's about. It's God who gets the glory. It's for the it's. it's for the good of people. It's for God's glory. And what I love is the success of Jonah's mission was not predicated on who he was or how persuasive he could be. The people did not believe Jonah. They believed God. They called for a fast. And when God saw what they did, what did, what did God do? He relented. He 
saved them in essence, not, maybe per, per, not in, a, uh, in the way we understand in a New Testament thing, but the, the reality was this. They repented, God acknowledged that, and God relented. And the mission was successful not because Jonah was so good. The mission was successful simply because Jonah did what God had called him to do and was obedient. And it was his obedience that made the difference. Listen to me, God's not done calling Jonah's and God's not done changing cities. God chooses people we would never choose to do things that we would never do in ways that we can never imagine. This is what God does. He calls Jonas and he, call, and he changed the cities. Here's what I love. Jonah was, uh, Nineveh was not overtaken. I mean, how do you take a city? Well, you know, through open field battle, maybe a siege or, or maybe through psychological warfare. No, he, he, he threw out the Assyrian playbook. He took down a city with one obedient former failure. He took an army of one, an army of one, and obedient, catch that. that, that phrase is important, an obedient former failure. When you, you ever see those pictures and they, they say that there are two pictures and it's, you know, you can either see it this way or you can see something else and, and there's like all these psychological, if you see it this way, then you're this, if, if you see it this way, then you're that or whatever, you know, they, they use it for some psychological testing. Well, here's the thing, when you, when you hear this phrase, obedient former failure, what do you focus on? A lot of us focus on former failure. It's the obedience that made the difference. God's not done calling Jonas. God's not done changing cities. And I would, I would say this as we close. Can you name anything? Can you name anything to which you're giving your life that is not closely tied to your own needs, comforts, desires, fears, insecurities, that's not self-focused? Think about this. Because I, I, the, the, the reason why I feel, God's placed us here for such a time as this. And the greatness of, of whatever he's called, the greatness is not defined by numbers. It's not determined by what, what the world determines things on. Can I, can I tell you, the only standard God uses is obedience. In fact, we were sitting around the table and doing sermon prep. We were, we were, we were thinking about this whole thing and, and talking about the unfairness of this. And I turned to, to Daniel Becerra. Daniel, stand up. I'm gonna pick on you. How many of you have not met Daniel? Let me see your hands. You, you haven't met Daniel, okay? Okay, here's the deal. <laughs> now, now, I've just introduced you. Now, you now know Daniel. Daniel just finished an internship, or he's finishing up an internship here. Uh, God's called him to plant a church on down the road. We don't know when. We're trusting God. He, he's gonna be planting a church. And so we've been training for ministry and all that sort of thing. You can be seated. But, but I turned to Daniel. I just pointed to Daniel. I said, Daniel, have you ever failed? <laughs> That's exactly, he's like, yes, I have. In fact, he, he told me, he took us back when he was 19 years old and God called him and he said, it's so overwhelming and scared me. He said, I ran. And it wasn't just that he ran from the call of God. He literally ran from God. He, he went into rebellion. And when, when it was a five, six years ago, God began to do this transformation work and, and, and brought you back. He, he was like, man, he, he was so grateful that God had transformed him, but he couldn't believe that God would call him. And two years ago, God came back. The word of the Lord came to Daniel a second time and said, I'm not through with you. And he's gonna be planting a church. 
I told him, I said, I'm putting you on spot because like you've said it, now you know. We're, we're all gonna be praying for you. But, but he wasn't damn, done with Daniel. If he's not done with Daniel, why do you think he's done with you? Pastor Edgar was sitting up there. He, he, he leads our uh, in Espanol service. I turned to him and said, Edgar, have you ever failed? He's like, oh. And some of you don't know his story. Man, saved from a crazy crazy life. Guatemala, he was born and raised in Guatemala, uh, never had a relationship with his dad. In fact, uh, the, the, the last words he heard his dad say to him was, get out of here, I'm sending you away, I never want to see you again. Now, it, it just, he, he couch surfed from, from home to home, got into drugs, ended up in prison, was, was, was sentenced for decades in prison. While he was in prison, somebody introduced him to Jesus. And through a whole miracle, he got out. God called him to preach. He started, he didn't just train. He started churches. He started, and, and God blessed his ministry. He, he went to the mission field, started churches in, in, uh, in, in Brazil. There's just in phenomenal. Came even to the U.S., started ministry here. And then he fell. And I asked his permission to share this. He had an affair. And when he fell, he was sure that God was through with him. It was hard enough to believe that God would bring him back and forgive him. But he put a period and he said, God's through with me. Through a process of reconciliation and a beautiful story of what God did in redeeming him, bringing him back. And, and he and Floor have such a tremendous story of how God transformed them. God called him the word of the Lord came to Edgar a second time and said, I'm not through with you. Come here, Will. You guys, how many of you have not met Will? Let me see your hands. You have not met Will. Okay. I love this guy. I love Wendy, Will, Wendy. 2008, right? 2008, man, he was slumped sitting on a tile floor. His marriage had collapsed. Business had collapsed. Literally, he told me, he said, there was no way he could go any lower than where, the only, where, the only way he could look up was up. And he literally was contemplating ending his life. It's over. But God wasn't through. And I'll still remember, it wasn't just that God saved you, God transformed you and redeemed you and brought you back. I remember, Wendy, you remember this? I remember when the word of the Lord came a second time. And man, we were sitting in a, we were sitting in a Panera, Panera bread over there, man. And man, God had just laid on my heart. I didn't know the whole story. And I said, man, God just, you're the, the person that's to lead our discipleship ministry. And I remember both Wendy and Will beginning to weep and he said, no, I can't answer. You gotta know my story. And he shared my story. He said, I don't know that I'm qualified. I'm like, it's God who qualifies. We don't qualify. And man, you know what God's done through, and is doing through Will and Wendy. The Lord came a second time. I'll let you sit down, Will. Listen, I could walk through this room and I could talk to person after person after person. I could call on you to stand up. I know so many stories that are in this room.
Stories of, it makes no sense, it's a story of grace. How God has saved you. He saved you from a terrible life. How God has brought you back. Troy Foster, I could have you stand up and share your story. It's an unbelievable story of God's grace. I could look around and call out names. And all it would do is underscore this point that I'm trying to make. God's not done calling Jonas. And God's not through changing cities. Nineveh was a city that mattered to God. Jonah was a man that mattered to God. And in this room, I know for a fact there are men and women that you have, man, you are listening to the lie of the enemy and he's using your past. He's bringing it up and saying, because you did this, because you went there, because you ran, because you rebelled, God is through with you. Only God, your maker, your designer, your savior, the, the, the one who still call, only God gets to make that call. You don't get to make that call. The enemy for sure doesn't get the chance to make that call. God says, I'm not done. And guys, I don't know, what, what if, what if that Nampa was a city that mattered to God? What if Caldwell was a city that mattered to God? What if, if Melba, if Marsing, if, if Middleton, if, if Cuna, if, if Marie, what if these were cities that mattered to God? What if it was an exceedingly great city, not because of who it was, but because it mattered to God? And what if, what if God didn't need to have some massive big, let's, let's get as many people together this. What if God just wanted to start with an obedient former failure? And he wanted to change and say, what if? My question is, we're never gonna know the answer to that question unless if God has called, we respond in obedience. The story of Jonah would never be in scripture if Jonah eventually hadn't gone. Yes, it records a story of, God, of, of Jonah's failure, but eventually it records a story of Jonah's faithfulness. And the fruit, the rest of the story, it's God's story. I don't know what God has in store for, for our valley, I just know that God's place is here. I don't know what God has in store for your neighborhood, your city, for, for your life. I, don't, I just know that he's placed you there. All I know is that God's not done calling and God's not done changing. And it's time for us to shut up with the excuses. Next time the temptation comes to say, well, because of this, because of that, because, of, man, would you just say, get thee behind me, Satan. You're listening to the voice of the enemy. God's not done. And God, the reality of that is such a powerful thing as we close this service. God, I don't, I don't know why. I genuinely don't know why you changed me. I don't know why you called me. We, we all, there is not a person in this room that, that really can, can explain the why. We've all got a past. But I'm so thankful that thanks to your amazing grace, and even the fact that you're not done, not just, not just ch changing us, but, but using us, we all have a future. And God, I don't know why you've called us here. We, we don't know the, the hows, the whys, the wherefores, all that. All, all we know is that you've placed us here. We all have a general mission for sure. We have the great commission. But God, I know that you're not done with your people. And so God, I'm just praying that somehow, some way, that there's been some, I don't know who this message is for, but God, I'm praying that you would clearly reveal that and they're God, that they would see your persistent grace, your consistent call.
And Lord, they would actually, it would actually respond to the clear message, knowing that you're gonna, you're gonna provide the divine anointing. You don't just call us leaps on our own. You're gonna use, I, I pray that we would go forward in obedience. And I pray that again, that, that the grace would be known as a place where obedient former failures are carrying out. You're calling your purpose and you're transforming us as we take our next step personally. But Father, you're also using us as a means to, to helping others meet you and take their next step. So God, for what you're gonna do in this group of people, we'll thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Hey, listen, I don't know who this message was for, but I, I, I rarely say this. If this message was for you, you need to email me this week. Because I, I, man, I've had such a crazy burden on my heart and I don't know who it's for, but if it's for you, you know that. Let God do the rest. We'll see you tonight at five. Next steps. Great to have you here. See you next week.